This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. This uh, week, as I was putting my sermon together, I had a song running through my head that back in the 70s, 80s, that's the 1970s, 1980s, there was a Christian artist named Pat Terry who wrote some great songs. I really liked them, but um, haven't thought about them for a long time. But as I was putting the sermon together today, I did think about that. And uh, I got a lot going on. Yes, I do. Thank you. Thank you. I'll do this. Anyway, and so as I was thinking about this, also what happened was I was reminded of a couple of godly men in our church that uh, we've lost in the last couple of months. And uh, some of you remember Clarence Thomas, our dear beloved Clarence, who's been a member of our church for several years now. What a blessing it was when he came to our church because he'd been such a man of God and known throughout the city of Kansas City uh, as being an elder in some of the major, um, another major church for 30-some years. And that he would select our church to be part of was a, an endorsement. We appreciate it so much. I was able to be with him just before he, he passed away in the hours right before that. And then just two weeks, that was six weeks ago, by the way, today, so that Clarence passed away. And then we had uh, Brian Chase. Brian Chase, I, I know the Chase family from a long time ago when I was at another church. In fact, I had the privilege of baptizing him and his wife. And uh, we hadn't been around each other for a long time, but he, his wife, Barbara, passed away last year. And uh, I went to the funeral. We reconnected with Brian. And, and uh, this past year, he's been attending church here. And then it was just when we had the... Uh, March Madness, big basketball tournament. Brian was a big uh, KU fan. And uh, he went home on that Monday night and looked at that, uh, watched that game. And when it was over, watched KU win the national championship. He then uh, flipped to another channel and was watching something on television and uh, fell asleep and never woke up. And so I was thinking about, I, I know these men and knew their mindset and their, uh, and so I, th- this song reminded me of this. So I'm going to do this as a tribute, if I can get it done here. Do it as a tribute to them. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. They say that heaven's pretty Living here is too But if they said that I would have to choose between the two I'd go home I'd go home Where I belong
Sometimes when I'm dreaming, it comes as no surprise. If you look, you'll see that homesick feeling in my eyes. I'm thinking about home, thinking about home. Where I belong But while on earth I'll serve Christ gladly Though heaven is my home I'm here But not for long And one day I'll be sleeping When death knocks on my door And I'll awake to find That I'm not homesick anymore I'll be home I'll be home where I belong Kind of interesting, isn't it? The song says something like that. We I guess we should, as Christians, we should be eager to see our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Wouldn't that be the ultimate? Isn't that supposed to be the ultimate? To be with our Lord Jesus Christ? It's a... Uh, but you know, <laughs> our we just don't usually think about it that way. Our American culture is—it uh, seems willing to do just almost anything to avoid the subject of death. Uh, most of us are what well, we're focused on doing all we can to increase the quantity and the quality of our limited days. You know, hardly a day goes by without us being warned about some cancer or some infection. We're told to diet, exercise, put on our seatbelts, avoid texting while driving, eat more fish and less fat, get regular checkups, you know, and on and on it goes. And each of these bits of advice, I mean, certainly they, they have their place. But taken as a whole, I think, these avoidance strategies reveal a very real fear of death. And, uh, I mean, when someone we know or we know about dies, we do all we can to avoid the dreaded D word, don't we? Instead, we say, he passed on, or he may choose to be a little more flippant, and we say, you know, she kicked the bucket. He cashed in his chips. 
And this is because we don't want to really deal with the reality of something as permanent and as seemingly unknowable as death. People seem happy to celebrate a person's earthly achievements and accomplishments, but we try to avoid asking the obvious question, uh, where does this person go now? It happened even when Jesus was crucified. There was a man on the cross next to him, and he wanted to know. So he asked the Lord for mercy. And what did Jesus say? He said, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Did you catch that? He said, today. That very day, the thief who had been crucified next to Jesus went into a place of waiting, a realm of bliss and comfort called paradise. Now, remember, this was three days before Jesus was raised from the dead. But the Bible says that after the Lord's death and his resurrection, a believer who dies goes straight to heaven and straight into the presence of God. As the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I guess you might describe what happened to this thief as a kind of deathbed experience. And I hope this encourages you to never, ever stop praying for friends and loved ones who haven't accepted Christ as their personal Savior, no matter how hopeless it may look. I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of people who've come to the Lord right before passing into eternity. I've even prayed with several of them myself. However, I sincerely hope that none of you are gambling, that none of you are planning to wait until you're at death's door before surrendering to Christ because nobody knows when death is coming. I mean, even the death row inmate who's sentenced to die, he can't know that he won't have a heart attack or a stroke and die in his sleep the day before his execution. But there is something he can know. Death is coming. I mean, he can know that he is going to die, and so are you. And so am I. In fact, everyone hearing my voice right now is going to die. It's not a matter of if you're going to die. It's a matter of when you're going to die. Now, I don't expect any of you to say amen to that. But I do hope that you will get ready. <laughs> anyway, how many remember that last week I preached a sermon entitled, As It Is in Heaven? Remember that? Anybody? We talked about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, today I'd like to stay on that subject just and speak just for a few minutes about what heaven knows about earth. In, uh, in 1997, when my son Alex was 12, one of his favorite movies was Men in Black, starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. And in this sci-fi movie, you see Earth has become a politically neutral zone for space alien refugees. 
The government, however, fears that chaos is going to break out in human society if the existence of these uh, space aliens becomes known. So they feel it necessary to create a secret agency known as MIB, Men in Black. And these men in black, they use neuralizers. What do they do? Neuralizers re erase and replace any memories of a person who comes in contact with one of these space aliens. Tommy Lee Jones' character, Agent K, works for the agency in charge of the memory erasure, and he has a new partner, Will Smith's character, who is named Agent J. Anyway, in one scene, there's a woman named Beatrice, and Beatrice has just encountered an alien and must have her memory wiped clean. So as Agent J, Will Smith, watches Agent K, he uses, Agent K uses the neuralizer on her to erase and replace her memory of the encounter. And it went something like this. Agent K said, all right, Beatrice. Beatrice, there was no alien. No, the flash of light you saw in the sky was not a UFO. She sees swamp gas from a weather balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and reflected the light from Venus. Will Smith's character, Agent J, says, wait a minute. You're telling me you, just, you flash that thing and it erases her memory and then you just make up a new memory? Agent K says, yes, standard issue neuralizer. And Agent J says, and you're telling me that that stupid story is the best you can come up with? <laughs> anyway, just imagine for a minute what the world would be like if your memories could just be wiped clean. It's been said that one of the keys to happiness is a bad memory. And many of us would probably agree. But at the same time, I doubt that we would actually want to lose complete contact with an unhappy memory. I, I mean, I think what we really mean is we, we choose not to dwell on it. Well, on the other hand, some of us may have some uh, painful or embarrassing memories that we would, wouldn't mind having being neuralized. But I, I really don't think that many of us would really want this kind of a mental lobotomy. I mean, losing our memories is somehow an attack on our dignity as humans, isn't it? I mean, that's one of the horrifying things about Alzheimer's and other brain diseases. It's, it's the, the loss of memory, the loss of connection with our past. So, Pastor, you ask, what does men in black have to do with heaven and the afterlife? And since you've asked, I must admit, not a lot. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> however, <laughs> I think it does illustrate in a small but, but, but significant way what many people think heaven will be like. They tend to think that nothing sad will ever touch our heavenly bliss. And for them, this means that our bad memories, you know, our pain, 
Our sadnesses will all be wiped from our brains like a cloth going over a whiteboard. I mean, some people believe that once we're in heaven, we'll be so preoccupied with worshiping God that the last thing on our minds will be what's happening on earth. And, and besides, with all the tragedy and all the sadness in this world, they think heaven would just not be heaven if we were still aware of all the stuff going on on the earth. And then to support that position, they might quote Revelation 21.4, which says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And according to this theory, if God's going to wipe away our tears, that would require that he would first have to wipe away our memories at least the bad ones. And this reminds me of a, uh, of a 19th century misunderstanding about heaven. See, back in those days, the Puritans wrote extensively about what awaits believers in heaven. And, and they were a, certainly a God-focused group who sought to exalt our Creator in heaven and on earth. Richard Baxter was one of the best Puritan writers on this subject, and he believed we're going to be employed in singing God's praises for all eternity. And he said this, he said, As God will have from them a spiritual worship suited to his own spiritual being, he will provide them a spiritual rest suitable to their spiritual nature. The knowledge of God and his Christ, a delightful complacency in that mutual love, an everlasting rejoicing in the enjoyment of God, with a perpetual singing of his high praises. This is heaven for a saint. Now, this may be a beautiful picture of heaven, but I think many would consider that a picture of a negative place where all good is removed and we are forever disconnected from the world, disconnected from our memories, disconnected from any knowledge about those who loved us. See, in this view that Baxter wrote about, we are so busy worshiping that we are unaware of the passing of time. That is, if there even is such a thing as time in heaven. Now, I get that to some people. Worshiping forever may sound appealing. But it probably sounds pretty scary to other people. I can imagine that some people may picture heaven as a really, really, really long church service. A really boring church service. You know, the kind where you're always checking your watch, looking on your smartphone, thinking about lunch daydreaming about the game that's coming up on TV. We've all been to services like that, haven't we? You know, where things went just a little too long, we found ourselves getting turned off. Hey, <laughs> I've preached some of those services. <laughs> I was bored listening to myself. <laughs> it can happen. And sometimes... I don't think there's a good place for an amen there, John. <laughs> Be kind. 
But sometimes we worry whether heaven will be just like one of those long church services, you know, but without the prospect of lunch or a good game, you know. You know, it's possible we might not care much for the music or the chairs or the people <laughs> in that service. Maybe the color of the church carpet annoys us in here, you know, things like that. So if that's what you think, if that's what you think heaven may be like, then I want you to listen very closely. Heaven is not going to be a long, boring church service. Sure, there's going to be worship and plenty of it. But it's going to be the kind of worship that you're just never going to want to stop doing. And please note, there are so many more ways we can worship God than simply attending a church service. You know that? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. What? No, you got to say it like I did. Whatever you do. Okay, good. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, we can worship God oh, any number of ways here on earth, not just on Sunday morning. We can even eat and drink as acts of worship. Scripture says. So how so tell me, do we think somehow we're gonna have fewer opportunities to worshipfully, worshipfully serve God in heaven than we do on earth? Listen. A fear of being bored in heaven, I submit, reflects a lack of holy imagination. We're going to be fully engaged in heavenly worship. And even more thrilling, we'll have an eye on earth as well. You say, well, well, pastor, wait a minute. If our memories are not wiped clean in heaven... Just how much do the people there know about what's going on here on earth? I mean, do the people in heaven even care about us? Or, or is it possible that they're watching us right now? I've talked to some people who believe the folks in heaven are just sitting up there watching our every move, almost as if we're kind of their form of entertainment. Hey, let's turn on the TV and see what's happening down on earth. You know, like in It's a Wonderful Life. Then there are others who think that the people in heaven sometimes come down to earth and intervene in our lives, kind of like the old TV show, Highway to Heaven. Come down and direct our steps and help us know what to do, how to avoid things. So, which view is correct? Are people blissfully unaware in heaven, or do they have ringside seats? Well, my answer is that I believe both of these views are incorrect in different ways. Let me first say that people in heaven definitely have some knowledge of what's happening here on the earth. In fact, I think people in heaven know a lot more about earth than we may realize. In heaven, we're going to be in our glorified state. We will not know less in heaven than we know on earth. We'll know more at, 
And we also need to realize that people in hell also have some awareness, at least, some, some small awareness, at least, of earthly events. But, but let's deal with heaven first. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says this. Apostle John speaking. He says, when, he says, when he opened the fifth seal, talking about an angel, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, notice that these are the martyrs who have gone to heaven. Note also how they are aware of what is happening on the earth. For instance, they know they were killed for following Christ. And that means there's a direct continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. We're not, we're not different people when we get to heaven. We're the same people, just relocated and glorified. See, these martyrs, you can tell from the scripture there, they're fully conscious and they're rational. They're aware of each other. They're aware of God. They're aware of the situation on the earth. They remember that they were killed for their faith in Jesus. I mean, people who say that we don't remember anything about earth need to grapple with what these martyrs know. See, they remember. And they're not angels, by the way. They're people who have died and gone to the other side. Notice they ask this question, how long? Which indicates that they have some awareness of the passing of time on earth. And they also possess a clear sense of justice. They clearly want those who murdered them for their faith to get what's coming to them. They desire God's justice to be done in heaven, excuse me, done on heaven as it is on earth. I'll get it right in a minute. Done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's pretty clear that there's a, a continuity in their perceptions of life on earth and in heaven. Now, now, in Luke 16, there's another heavenly scene where Jesus tells about a rich man and a poor man. One went to a place of comfort, referred to in the King James Version as Abraham's bosom. And apparently, Abraham and the poor man were reclining, reclining together at the banquet table in the old ancient way. And the other person, the rich man, went to a place of torment described as Hades. So here's Jesus' account of what happened in Jesus' words. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, 
he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will know Excuse me, that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, incidentally, you may wonder how this picture of the afterlife in which the saved and the condemned can see one another, how that fits in with other biblical accounts, you know, where there's no sign of the lost in heaven. Well, the short answer is this. Jesus changed the architecture of the afterlife. You see, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, everyone who died went to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. Everyone. The believers went to the paradise side, awaiting the time when Jesus would die and then open the door to heaven. And unbelievers went to the other side of Sheol called Hades, which was also a place of waiting. But as you, we saw in this passage, it was also a place of torment. Anyway, one of the men who died is identified as Lazarus. He lived off the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. But notice, notice that death knocked at both doors. As you may have realized, death is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor, you're famous or unknown, everyone dies. Death is the great equalizer. After death, however, after death, everything is not equal. In fact, the rich man's in torment, Lazarus is in comfort. But please notice, both men are fully conscious on the other side. Although they were kept from going to each other because of the great gulf between them, they're still aware of one another's existence. The rich man sees Lazarus from a distance, even uses his name. He's aware of their prior history. And Abraham reminds him, remember, in your lifetime, you got the good things, Lazarus got the bad things. So what else does a rich man know? Well, apparently he knows that his five brothers are lost. That's why he says, I beg you, send Lazarus to tell him. See, he doesn't want those guys to end up on the wrong side of the chasm. And so from this, it's evident that people in eternity are aware 
of what's happening on the earth. As I said, in the afterlife, we'll be the same people. We'll have real memories of what went on on our lives on earth. We'll know more in heaven than we do now. We won't all get a collective lobotomy when we go to glory. There's no heavenly neuralizer. Ah, there's men in black getting into the story again. Listen, folks, you're going to remember things. I mean, if you di- listen, if you didn't remember anything in the afterlife, then why would God open the books and judge you according to your works? I mean, you wouldn't know what he was talking about if you had no memories. It says in the 12th verse of Revelation 20, and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. It's clear that he wants us to see how our lives on earth have determined our eternal destiny. I submit that we will probably see more clearly than ever before. And this is why we need to make sure that we're ready always to meet the Lord. See, in the story of the rich man and the poor man, one of them went to torment, the other went to comfort. And what was it that determined their destination? What happened on earth? What we do down here matters. That's why I urge you to please lean in, listen as if your life depended on it, because it does. You get to decide where you will spend eternity. God has given you the ability to choose. And he's hoping you will choose life in heaven with him. So will you? Will you do your part? You see, he's already done his part. For you see, at the cross, Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin. At the tomb, he rose from the dead so that we too can rise from the dead and have eternal relationship with him. It's explained to us in the fifth chapter of Romans very clearly. It says right here, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone, excuse me, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So how about you? Have you been reconciled? 
through the death of God's Son? Have you been reconciled to God? Have you been saved through Christ who loves you so much that he gave his life for you? Do you know, do you know with confidence that you are going to heaven? Do you know with no doubt that you're ready to meet Christ if he came back right now? How about your friends? How about your family? Hey, don't be like the rich man and not tell him until it's too late. 2 Corinthians 6.2, God says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. In other words, don't wait. Don't wait. Do it today. Now, realizing that Jesus is the ultimate lover of our souls, there are two hugely important questions that we need to ask ourselves today. And here's question number one. Ask yourself this. Am I ready to meet the Lord right now? Do you know with confidence that you would go to heaven if you died today? You know, for years, I was convinced that there was no way to know. I thought, I didn't think it was knowable. I thought you just hoped. And that's, that's because I, I, I thought the answer depended on me being good. When it actually depended, listen, don't miss this. It doesn't depend on me being good. It depends on me being willing. God is not determining our salvation based on our ability. He's determining our salvation based on our willingness to trust Jesus when we're not able So the real question here is, am I willing to trust and follow Christ for the rest of my earthly life? Not just today in a service to make a decision. No, you're ready to trust him for the rest of your life. And question number two, because got question number one, am I ready? Question number two is this, have I fallen in love with him? This is a whole different thing. See, if I answered yes to question number one, and I'm trusting Christ with my life, that means my relationship changed from, well, I want to know if it's changed from grateful and loving, which would be that. Has it changed from grateful and loving to, or excuse me, grateful and willing to loving and devoted? Two different things. In other words, question number Two is this. Do I want to be with him? Don't you want to be with the one that you love? It was just the other day, Debbie and I was in the car, and I was going someplace, and she said, well, you want to 
if you want to go over there or you want to go home, whatever. I said, I, it doesn't matter as long as you're with me. I get to go home and, no, you know that, that, that girl I, I loved and I wanted to be with all the time and I couldn't be with her all the time? I get to be with her all the time now. And I want to be. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to see him? Do you want to look upon his face? Not that glowing thing over there. The robes and stuff. No, I want to look at him right in his face. See, question number one deals with our will. Question number one provides salvation from our sin and eternal life in heaven. Praise God. But question number two doesn't deal with our will. Question number two deals with our heart. And question number two produces the joy of our salvation and the desire to be with Jesus. It's saying, I'm willing to do whatever the Lord asks, but not so I will go to heaven. No, I'm willing to do whatever the Lord asks so that I will be with him. It changes from what he can do for me to what I can do for him. It's declaring that with him, listen, with him is more important than being in heaven. Never thought of that? If Jesus is not in heaven, I don't want to go. Can you say that and mean it? Are you in love with Jesus? Do you want to be with him wherever it is? Or you say, no, I don't know where he went or where he's going, but I'm going to heaven. See, we need to change from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Have you surrendered your will to the Lord? Have you made the decision to follow him for the rest of your earthly life? And if the answer to that question for you is yes, will you raise your hand right now and just leave it up? Raise it. I have surrendered my will to the Lord, and I've decided to follow him for the rest of my life. Just leave it up. What a thrilling sight. To see people willing to testify to their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. You can put your hand down. Now, if you weren't able to raise your hand just now, I want to pray for you. Okay? Lord, I pray that everyone who's hearing me will choose right now to surrender their will to you. That they will right now in their heart say, Jesus, Please forgive me. Accept me into your family. I choose 
Lord, to trust you for my salvation and to follow you from this day forward. Amen. As uh, the band comes, I'd like for all of us to stand together. Will you do that? And uh, all of you who have surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to stand and repeat after me. Will you do this? Lord, I have surrendered my will and agreed to let you do with me as you please. I offer now my heart as well. Help me love you more until that glorious day when I see your face. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.